The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and chapter 2, verses 20b through 25. It can be found on page 1 in the Black Bibles. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary Catherine, for reading. Um, <clears throat> my name is John Trapp. I'm the, one of the pastors here at Christ the King. Welcome. Um, like I said, that was Mary Catherine reading. She's uh, our new young adults ministry coordinator for women here at Christ the King. So if you're a young adult woman um, here at CTK, we would love for you to get to know Mary Catherine. Uh, if you're not, I hope that you'll just extend a welcome to Mary Catherine, get to know her. She's awesome. She was actually a high schooler here at Christ the King back in the day. And so it's really fun to have um, one of our own come back to us, uh, to serve us and to care for us. So thanks for being here, Mary Catherine. Um, y'all, let me, uh, well, first let me say a couple things. One, a little, um, I guess, parental advisory warning for the sermon today. I'm gonna be talking like pretty pointedly about sex and I do think it's something that our kids need to hear uh, from their church because they're going to hear about issues like this from the world. And uh, what, I would, what I would like is for, uh, for them to also be hearing from, from their church and from their parents. And I hope that, that this sermon blesses and encourages conversations in your home. Uh, I'm not gonna preach on anything that I wouldn't want my own kids to hear, but if, you, if you're not ready to have those conversations with your kids yet, I will say like a slightly extra long prayer before I start preaching and you can just go eat tacos with them. <laughs> Uh, you just kind of, yeah, get out that way. Um, also, I will say, it, I do feel a little weird. You may have noticed that um, I have lost my wedding ring. It feels weird preaching on this. Um, it was a casualty, we think, to the VBS dunk tank. So, um, hand shrunk a little bit in the water. Um, all you kids who dunked me, I hope you feel really bad for <laughs> all that dunking. Uh, but if anyone sees it, it may be on the ground somewhere outside. Let me know. We would love to get that back. Um, y'all, we are slowly working our way through the book of Genesis. Um, we actually, you may feel like we reverted a little bit. Last week we were on page three, we went back to page one. I promise we're going to get moving here pretty quickly. But I, I, I do think it's important for us to talk about this issue. And what we see in the book of Genesis is that God is presented as an all-wise, all-powerful one 
who has created men and women to bear his image and to to participate in his life and in his joy with him. But what we saw last week is that Adam and Eve rejected God. They rejected him for the sake of ruling themselves, and yet God does not stop. He does not stop pursuing them. In fact, God's first words after their sin is, where are you? As they hide from him. And for many of us, the part of life in which we feel the most wounded or where we are most guilt-ridden or most ashamed is our sex life. And I want you to know this morning that the very same God who went and pursued Adam and Eve in their hiddenness is the very same God who is pursuing sinners today. So where are you? Where are you in your relationship with God and with your own sexuality? My my goal today is first for you to see God's goodness and his beautiful gift that he gives to us in sex. Secondly, I want you to understand how our misuse of this gift hurts ourselves and others. And then third, I want you to believe Jesus' grace really is for the sexually deviant and broken and wounded and sinful. So you maybe heard three points in there. It's first, our, the, the gift of sex. Second, our misuse of the gift. And third, the grace of the giver. So that's what we're gonna talk about. Let's pray now and then we'll begin. Father, we do ask that you would come and find us now. Lord, you know the hidden parts of our lives. You know the places where we would like to stay in the dark, away from you and from others, and we pray that you, by your grace, would not leave us there, but instead that you would shine the light of your truth And that in doing so, that we might see that you don't shine your light of truth on us simply to shame us, simply to accuse us, but rather to welcome us into life with you. And so we pray that you would do that now. Help us to see, help us to believe. And we pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to kick off by, first off, just kind of defining my, my working understanding of God's view, the biblical view of sex as it's presented in Genesis 2 and the rest of the Bible. And it's that sex is a gift to be enjoyed within the context of a marriage between one woman and one man. And I acknowledge that there's people in the room who very likely disagree with, with what I just said. And first off, I just want you to know that I'm really glad you're here. In fact, I think we'd be less without you here. And my hope is that our church can be a place where we wrestle with the truth of God together as God's family and seek to understand what God is calling us into as we try to faithfully follow him. But what we believe is that sex, along with everything else that's given in 
the book of Genesis is really a gift. God is presented in Genesis 1 as the Lord over all things and also the host of creation. We've been talking about this, right? He's the host of creation. Unlike other gods' creation stories that, we, that you see in the ancient Near East, these gods who lacked for something and needed to take something from people, and so they created them. What we see in the book of Genesis is a very different God. He is a God who doesn't lack for anything. In fact, even within himself, he has a relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, lacks for no relationship, for no love, for no glory, for no one to worship him. He doesn't lack for any of that. And so his creation then, his creation is out of an overflow of joy and love. And so he hosts us in his world that he has given to us as a gift to know him. So that means the Bible is telling us that food is a gift, relationships are a gift, life is a gift, sex is a gift, all is a gift. And God speaks to us through these gifts. You could say God speaks to us in sign language even. Paul talks about this in Romans 1.20. He says that God's invisible qualities can be seen from what he has made. God lets us know about himself through what he has made. And his most potent sign, you could say, is you and me. It's us. We bear his image. In Genesis 1, when God determines to create. He says, let us, speaking Father, Son, Spirit, having a conversation, let us make man in our image. So mankind is made in the image of a relational being, in the image of an us. And what we see when God creates man in his image in Genesis 1 is that in doing so, he makes them male and female. And then he immediately commands them to be fruitful and to multiply. So from the very beginning page of scripture, we say that one way that we are bearing God's image is in our God-given gender and sexuality. Sex is a gift because it's pointing us to the joyful union and communion of our God who is united and in communion with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what that means is our bodies, the bodies that God has given us, are literally telling us God's story of who he is. God who is united, one God, and diverse, three persons, creates his image bearers, one species, who are diverse, two genders, male and female. And this, the unity and the diversity in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is one God, is mirrored in the unity and diversity in the Trinity's image bearers, male and female, who are brought together in one marriage. And even we see in this one marriage, you have two male and female, in the consummation of that marital love proceeds a third person, a child. And one of the things that we believe as Christians is that the Spirit proceeds from the love of the Father and the Son. That third person is proceeding from the love of Father and Son. And so the family and the marriage 
is a way in which through our bodies, God is telling us a story of who we are and who he is. We are made to do the same. This God who is giving of himself in his very nature, we are made in his image to give of ourselves in every kind of way, including sexually, in the context of a committed, faithful marriage. In his book, I stole stole the book title for my sermon, Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Christopher West says this, in the call of a man and a woman to a communion of persons, the human body makes visible the invisible mystery of God who himself is an eternal communion of persons, the Holy Trinity. Friends, sex is a gift because it's, it's the place where God's image bearers can give their bodies for the sake of the other. And it's in that self-donation, that self-giving, that we are bearing God's image. It's not the only way that we bear God's image, but it is a way in which we do with our very bodies. And so what that means is sex, when we think about sex as a gift, we immediately think like, oh, it's for me then. It's something that I get. We think of gifts as things that we get, not things that we give. Sex isn't primarily a gift to mankind because of the way that we receive from it. Rather, sex is the place where we give of ourselves in the context of marriage. The gift that we give of ourselves in love for the sake of the other. And we see this in the way that Adam and Eve relate and even the way that Eve is created. See, Adam is, the scripture says, alone. It's the first time that something is said to be not good. Even before sin enters the world, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so God makes Eve and presents to Eve to Adam as a gift. But she's not just a gift for Adam to take from. And Adam is, this is communicated to Adam even in the way that she's made because how does God make Eve? He takes from Adam. Adam gives of himself. He gives a rib out of his own body and in that gift he finds another person who is made for him as a gift. There's this beautiful dance of giving and receiving. And so even when Eve is presented as a gift for Adam, Adam too is presented as a gift to Eve. Verse 24, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He will be a gift back to her. This is a precursor to what Jesus says, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We find life when we give of ourselves rather than when we take from others because we're made in the image of one who in himself gives rather than takes. And this is true about sex. We experience, sex is meant to be experienced as a gift and is best experienced when it is experienced as one that's been given to the other. Tim Keller tells a story about meeting with a couple that was having trouble in their marriage. And some of that trouble was manifesting in their marriage bed. And so he pulled each spouse aside and he said, listen, the next, the next time that you're going to be intimate with your spouse, I want you to think about only the flourishing and the joy of the other. 
Only think about the flourishing and the joy of the other as you're intimate with one another. And they came back to me and said, that, that like totally changed. It, to, it totally changed the way that we engaged in this and enjoyed it. And it brought greater joy and even greater. It's, it's counterintuitive the way that, from the way that our world talks about this. That we find greater joy in giving of ourselves. And what this means is that the marriage bed is a place that should be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of a God who gives of himself. And, that, and in that self-giving, that bears the fruit of gentleness. Our marriage beds should be filled with gentleness. Our marriage beds should be filled with peace and patience. Our marriage beds are one that should be filled with kindness and faithfulness and self-control and joy and goodness and love and giving of ourselves for the good of the other rather than taking this is what we find, the fruit of the spirit of that God. But instead, oftentimes we misuse this gift. At the heart of our sexual deviance and brokenness and sin and shame is this, self-centered sex. Taking the gift rather than focusing on giving the gift. This is, this is what we do in our sin. This is what Eve does with the fruit, right? She sees that it is a delight to the eyes. It's good for food. And what does she do? She takes it. And then she gives it to Adam and he takes it. It's this taking nature in which we misuse the gift that sex is intended to be. This is why premarital sex is not condoned in the scriptures. Because what is happening in premarital sex is you are taking something from somebody without having given yourself to them. You haven't given, you haven't given yourself in vows to them. You haven't promised yourself to give of yourself in sickness and in health for better or for worse. And so rather what's happening in premarital sex is we are taking from that person the gift that is meant to be shared with the one that they are giving all their life to. So we're taking rather than giving. But our world tells us to do this. It tells us to take from others. And in doing this, what happens is we treat people not as persons, but as objects or a means to our own gratification. I think it's one of the reasons it's, it's absolutely tragic. Adam and Eve cover themselves. Because when sin enters the world, now they are at risk of objectifying the other. And so they cover to guard, to guard themselves from one another because they're now at risk of objectification. And this breaks the heart of God because that's the opposite of what we were made to be. You were not made to be an object. It, it, it breaks the heart of God so much so that Jesus says, even to objectify somebody, not even with your body, but with your mind, is a grave offense. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When we misuse 
sex. We do, the, we do the opposite of what it was intended to be made for. We make people into objects rather than affirming their personhood and their nobility as image bearers of our God and King. Jesus, and I want you to note that Jesus says when you look at a woman, he doesn't say when you look at another woman. In other words, we can do this with our spouse. We can objectify our spouse when we look simply to take from them. And I think that this is, this has been abused in the evangelical church in America. That, that once you get married, you can just take whatever you want and get whatever you want out of your marriage and out of your spouse and use them to your own means of gratification. And Jesus says to even, to even look at any woman, including your spouse, and to objectify them is adulterous and wrong because we weren't made to take in anything, including with our sexual lives. We were meant to give This is what pornography is all about. It's all about taking. There is zero self-giving in pornography. What pornography does is it creates a world where you can take whatever you want, whoever you want, whenever you want. It's all about you. And in pornography, what you're doing is you're only taking and consuming. You're never giving. And it's massively destructive. And, and it's been interesting to read some and, and see how it's not just a Christians who are saying that this is destructive. It, it's, it's all kinds of people. In fact, I don't, I don't know if you heard this, about this interview a couple of months ago on Howard Stern's talk show. I'm not listening to Howard Stern, but I saw that there was an interview in this where he was interviewing Billie Eilish, who's a pop star, 19 years old. Very controversial in some ways. And she said, Billie Eilish says that pornography destroyed her mind. She says she began watching it when she was 11 years old and she hates, she hates the way that pornography has destroyed her mind and the ways that she thinks about herself and her own body and other people. Naomi Wolf um, wrote a book called The Porn Myth in the 80s. In, in that book, she predicted that um, America's increasing obsession with, with porn would be the cause for people becoming more sex crazed, for there to be an uptick in, in sexual violence. And, and in some spaces that's happened, but interestingly, she writes today, she says that the onslaught of porn is responsible for deadening the male libido in relation to real women and leading men to see fewer and fewer women as porn worthy. She finished by saying, far from having to fend off porn-crazed porn young men, young women are worrying that as mere flesh and blood, they can scarcely get, let alone hold, a man's attention. Because a man is only looking to take rather than to give. We're being malformed by pornography. And it's not just for men. Lauren Dubinsky um, wrote in the Huffington Post, also not a Christian um, journal, to say the least. But she writes um, an article titled, What I Wish I'd Known Before Watching Porn. 
And she, I'll share a few of the things that she lists. I won't share all of it, but she says, I wish that someone would have told me that researchers have suggested it sabotages your sex life. I wish someone would have told me that the kind of pornography you're most turned on by is usually linked to a corresponding hurtful event in your life, further injuring your brokenness. I wish someone would have told me pornography would normalize things I wasn't emotionally or physically ready to handle in my relationships with men, making me feel like I had no options or control over my sex life, filling me with much regret and physical pain. I wish someone would have told me I would begin to objectify men, build up images in my mind, and think of sex day in and day out to the point where I couldn't remain focused on anything else. I wish someone would have told me it would make me feel less valuable to men and bring up insecurities for years in the bedroom. I wish someone had talked about how women watch it too, so I wouldn't have had to spend years living under the shame that comes with being the only one. Friends, this is what sin does. It holds out to you and it tells you to take of it. And it promises that if you take of it, that you will find satisfaction and wholeness. And when you take it, what it gives you instead is emptiness and brokenness. It doesn't give you satisfaction and wholeness, but emptiness and brokenness. And so what I want us to consider is this. Is it wise to listen to our own hearts and take whatever we want? Or should we listen to the author of life who knows how life works best because he made it? Do we listen to ourselves or to the author of life who knows how all of life works best, including sex? And I want, I want to talk briefly about homosexuality and would love to spend more on this subject, but, but also the Bible rarely spends extended time on this subject. In fact, it's almost always included in a list of other sins that everyone struggles with. And one of the things that we see in that list is that it's not an unforgivable sin. Homosexuality, the practice of homosexuality is not an unforgivable sin. But it is a sin. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I think if we were being honest, all of us would find a spot for our names on that list. But listen to what Paul says next. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When Paul says, and such were some of you, what is he saying to the Corinthian church? He's saying there were some of you who were drunkards. There were some of you who were thieves. And there were some of you who were practicing homosexuality. And you're all part of Christ's church. You've all been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be an expectation 
that people in our midst will struggle with this. And in a room this size, there absolutely are people here who struggle with this. And this is a place for you. The Bible says this is a place for you to struggle because we all struggle. It's all of us. Nancy Piercy is a professor at Houston Baptist University. Her book, Love Thy Body, which is on this subject and others, fantastic book. Um, she writes about a woman named Jean who lived as a lesbian for years. And today, Jean is married to a man with two kids. And one of the things that Jean says that, um, that changed her is she said, I came to trust that God had made me female for a reason and I wanted to honor my body. Listen to that. I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. There is, there is a way in which because we as Christians should be pro-creation, pro-for creation and for the physical world, because we are for the physical world and we love the physical world and we believe God loves the physical world, we believe that God is speaking to us and communicating to us through the physical world that he's made and through the way that he makes us. And we, honor our, we can honor our bodies and our creator by living into how he has made us to be. I, I hope that you hear even in her language the tension of give versus take that she's hitting on. She's giving of herself and her sexuality to the wisdom of her creator in making her rather than taking her own body and doing with it what she wants. She's giving rather than taking. I mean, some of my heroes in the faith are men and women who have given up their own sexual attractions for the sake of following Jesus. Some of those friends of mine are in heterosexual marriages now, and, and some of them instead are living as celibate Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction and will remain celibate unless the Lord changes their desires and gives them a desire for one person of the opposite sex who they may marry. One such man like this writes and says, I have come to realize my need to take the New Testament witness seriously, that groaning and grief and feeling broken are legitimate ways for me to express my cross-bearing discipleship to Jesus. It is not as if groaning means I'm somehow doing something wrong. Groaning is a sign of my fidelity. Like the struggle and the groaning is a sign of moving towards faithfulness in Jesus. Living life as the author of life has called us to live rather than taking it for ourselves and trusting in ourselves. And the reason that we can do this is because, final point, the grace of the giver. Because of the grace of the giver. And I want you to see that the same God who comes looking for Adam and Eve who are covered, covering themselves because of their sin and their shame. That same God also, when he lived in the flesh 2,000 years ago, was the one who was pursuing the sexually broken. He was, 
He was sending Philip by his spirit to go talk to the Ethiopian eunuch, sexually broken, mutilated man. He was going to the Samaritan woman at the well and pursuing this woman who had been sexually wounded and violated. He's pursuing her. Read, go home and read Luke 7 and how, just how Jesus deals with a prostitute. It is, it is so beautiful. He's in the home of this Pharisee named Simon. And this woman comes into the home and she begins weeping over Jesus. She's weeping and she's washing his feet and she's pouring out perfume upon him. She's kissing him. And Simon thinks to himself, if, if Jesus knew who that was, he would not be letting her touch him. And Simon, which interesting, it's like, well, Simon, how do you, there's maybe some hypocrisy with Simon on this because it's like, Simon, how do you know who she is? Right? And Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he tells him a parable. He tells him a parable about these two debtors. One has a huge debt that they owe to this master and the other has a very small debt. And the master forgives them both and he says, Simon, which one will love me more? And Simon says, the one with the greater debt. And he says, you're correct. And he looks at the woman and he says, you're forgiven because of your faith. Jesus loves broken sinners. And friends, the place where Jesus wants to meet you is not in the cleaned up pretty parts of you that you want to bring to the light for everyone to see. The place where Jesus actually wants to meet you are the hidden places, the dark places, the places that you think, if anyone knew that about me, they would be repulsed. That's where Jesus actually wants to show you that he is the kind of master who forgives great debts so that you can love him with a great affection. See, that's who Jesus is. That's the grace of the giver. We can trust him with our sexuality. We can deny ourselves because he denied himself for us. There's only one person who really knows you fully. Only one person who really knows all of you and will fully love you if you will come into the light by faith. And it's Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus is saying, I know you. I know all about you. I know you fully. I know all your secrets, all your lies, all your shame, all your failures. And that's why I'm here. He took on our shame and guilt and he took it onto his body. And he hated it so much that he died with it to kill it and to leave it buried in a grave so that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. I was reading, one, one woman put it this way in a book I was reading, it's so beautiful. She says, your purity is not based on what you've done with your body. It's based on what Jesus did with his. That's what we believe. Our purity is found in what the Lord Jesus has done for anyone who had put their faith in him. So have you done that? Have you leaned on Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? My encouragement is 
to confess to him, to go to him and to know that he is the God of great grace. And then also lean on it. Well, y'all, we need each other. We need each other in this. We've got to lean on each other in this. My encouragement is for you to, to take measures to stop making sex about yourself. If you need to install filters on your phone, on your computer, if you need to talk to people about it, if you need to join a recovery group, if you need to go to counseling, take measures. Not to earn God's love, but because in Christ we have it. We need to talk about it with one another. High schoolers, you're about to go to RYM in Florida. Y'all, y'all don't need to be alone in this. It is a really, really hard time in our world to be a high schooler right now. And the enemy is coming for you. And you don't need to be alone. Y'all need each other. Let's love each other. Let's listen to each other because of God's love for us. He has loved us so much that he has given us the wonderful gift of sex. He has loved us so much that he sent his son to die for the ways that we misuse his gift. And he loves us so much, in fact, that all the pleasures of sex are merely a sign pointing to the pleasure, joy, and love that he has won for eternity for any who are in him. So follow him. Don't hide. He's for your good. Let's pray. Lord, we... We thank you that you did not leave us in our hiddenness and that you remain the one who comes looking for us. Lord, I pray that you would make us ones who give of ourselves in the ways that you have told us to give of ourselves. Um, You who are wise and for our good, help us to trust in you and to follow you with all of ourselves, with our bodies with our souls. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.